0: Back to Presidential Podcast. This is Philip. And this is Robert. And today we're going to be starting off with um, an episode on Dwight Eisenhower, 34th President. So, do you want to begin with any remarks?
1: So, in our, our last segment, we talked about John Quincy Adams, uh, a man from a refined, prominent family who himself was a highly educated a very refined individual, and a very distinguished man. Today we'll be talking about Dwight Eisenhower, a man of very humble background, but who was perhaps the most accomplished and most well-qualified candidate uh, for the office of the presidency. Uh, Eisenhower had been the supreme allied commander in Europe, had been the commander of the uh, European theater and the North Atlantic theater of operations during the Second World War, had commanded armies of literally millions of men, had uh, been the uh, supreme commander of the occupation of Europe at a time When the European population was destitute, in deep need because of the destruction of the residential areas, the infrastructure, the residential areas of Europe. A time when, had there not been such skillful leadership of the occupation, Central Europe may have suffered disease and deprivation and population loss of a scale not seen since the Thirty Years' War, when one out of five Central Europeans died from the deprivation of war. So when we're looking at Eisenhower, we're looking at an extremely able and extremely competent man who had a huge impact on the history of the period and presumably on the development of the United States, uh, after his presidency.
0: Um, before we go into his, before we go into his um, childhood, and and I guess his early, military career. What um. when you say he's the most capable man or qualified man to be president i remember in the episode on nixon you mentioned that nixon uh many consider him to be one of the most capable uh, presidents do you think that obviously it didn't work out as well for nixon but do you is it is it are you talking mostly about ability to manage people are you talking about ability to, like, keep people in order and get them to execute their jobs? Are you talking about broad administrative tasks? How to allocate resources? Are you talking about uh, being very setting a vision for the country, inspiring the masses? Are you talking about being able to politic being politically savvy with with the other politicians and getting your way? Are you talking about Book smarts. What do you mean by that?
1: So there's there's a number of uh, dimensions of leadership which you've mentioned there. Eisenhower, Reagan, Nixon, and to a large extent Roosevelt. Certainly, Bill Clinton. All shared. The. Uh, the attribute of having enormous capacities of memory, of being able to read and absorb massive amounts of data. And then they were able to recall tremendously detailed, uh, copious amounts of data and put things together in ways that were not apparent to other leaders around them. Um, In Eisenhower's case, he had a very low-keyed type of managerial or leadership style. We sometimes think of the picture of Eisenhower as the uh, overlord commander uh, going before the 101st Airborne Division soldiers the night before the Normandy invasion, right before they uh, got onto their airplanes to go in, and jump into France and face the Wehrmacht uh, behind the lines in France. and. You know, we see Eisenhower giving an almost coach-like address to these soldiers, you know, from from the uh, recollections of the men there, he basically talked to them man-to-man, asked them questions about where they were from, uh, what their families were like, and established a rapport and a bond of trust with them. Um, I think this is kind of the hallmark of Eisenhower's leadership style. Even though he commanded millions of men, even though he was president at a time when the average American was, was probably more engaged in government than in any other comparable period of time, Eisenhower had a way of projecting warmth, of projecting interest, of developing a rapport with people. You know, the, the the slogan for his campaign was "I like Ike." You know, people liked the man. People felt confidence in the man. People felt that he was someone who cared about them, and that he was a highly competent individual who could run things very well. So his, his, his leadership style it was, was, I would say, subtle, you know,
0: uh, so a really
1: there. detailed command of the information mm-hmm. and a subtle way of relating to people and getting the best efforts out of them.
0: So he's not, over, he's not like Patton.
1: No, he might be, you know, he might even be the anti-Patton, you know, that Patton was fuss and feathers. Or, or what was his, uh, Blood and Guts Patton, they called him, you know, and, and there's a famous line in the movie, you know, where uh, the G.I. says, you know, his guts are blood. Mm. You know, Eisenhower, I don't think, ever made the men feel like he was going to ask the impossible of them. Uh, he never served in combat, but I don't think anybody ever thought that he was cowardly or that he was uh, unwilling to take the same burdens that they took. I think they really thought he was uh, that essential to planning and strategy that he needed to be in headquarters where people could communicate with him. right, let's
0: go back. Let's go back. Before we get into the war time, let's start with any... maybe where he... when he was born, where he grew up, any notable aspects of his Early childhood education, parental influence, etc.
1: Well, probably the most obvious thing, you know, the thing that that leaps out to you when you read his biography is that the family was pretty insecure for a good part of his uh, his upbringing. They moved around. Um, The father had a business failure. He was a a grocer and had a store go out, uh, go bankrupt. It took him a while to hook up with a a company where he could maintain steady employment. He worked as a mechanic, worked as a roughneck and oil rigs. They moved around a bit. Uh, The mother seems to have been extremely religious. Uh, They had seven kids, so you know, there there was a, a... a real strong family dynamic going on there. I mean, there must have been some affection between the parents for them to have seven kids. Mm-hmm. And uh, Eisenhower seems to be the quintessential Midwestern person. Um, a lot of the a lot of the naval officers also had similar backgrounds. Grew up in Iowa, Kansas. That part of the country. Well, who, in partic- who in particular? Oh, I'm thinking Nimitz, Halsey, a uh, number of them. Uh, now, he's not... Not, st- a middle class right. not a middle-class background. Not a middle-class background. And he's
0: not a standout student early on. Uh, he was... He. I don't think
1: he was ever uh, considered a gifted student or okay. a particularly competent student. I mean, he, he got decent grades, mm-hmm. but nothing outstanding.
0: And he's born in 1890, 1892, something like that. He gets out of high school and he goes to West Point. How's right. his career at West Point? I don't,
1: I don't recall anything noteworthy about it. He probably got to be first sergeant, you know, he probably rose up pretty, as, as I recall, he, he was a high cadet rank. He didn't get a lot of demerits. He didn't have a particularly outstanding academic record. He did play football, and he was noted. and And Mamie, his his future wife, uh, made the comment that he was a bruiser. You know, and that was one of the things that appealed to her about him that he was he was big and strong.
0: But he did not look that big in the photograph. He,
1: he's only about five ten, but he had six brothers. Yeah. So you got to figure, you know, there was a lot of rough housing going on in the Eisenhower house. Right. And it uh, apparently translated into him being a pretty pretty decent football player.
0: Okay. And Mamie, when does he meet her?
1: They were young. I think he met her during West Point. Okay.
0: And what's her, were they close?
1: Well, they were husband and wife. Um, they had a son. Um, he was stationed away from her for fairly long periods. Mm-hmm. Uh, I remember reading something about uh, her wanting him to come home at a point where he was considering an overseas assignment and one of their friends said Mamie just wants her soldier boy back, you know, so apparently there was a degree of strong physical intimacy between them, and apparently it was a a loving, supportive marriage. There's never any uh, hint of scandal with regard to their marriage. There was a wartime memoir written in which a woman named Case Summersby, who was his driver when he was uh, overlord commander in England, that there may have been something between them. But, He was a lot older than her, and there doesn't seem to be any first-hand accounts of anybody saying that anything actually happened between the two of them.
0: Okay. Now...
1: But, you know, a soldier stationed for long periods of time away from his wife, you know, who knows what dalliances could have occurred.
0: Okay. Now, Eisenhower is... A soldier during World War One. Yes. But he doesn't see combat. So he was never
1: sent to France. He was kept in the United he was kept in the United States. Um, apparently he was that good of a trainer that they kept him
0: What do you mean trainer?
1: Well, he he commanded uh, infantry training companies. That's what he did. Yeah, uh, the troops would come in raw, raw conscripts. He would he would take them over and put them out as soldiers. And he did that all the way through the First World War. He kept he kept uh, requesting an overseas combat assignment, but they kept uh, rejecting so it because they coached, felt that coached his
0: coached up the new the new recruits.
1: Yeah, and his efficiency reports as a as a. Uh, a trainer were so high they just felt like they needed him here
0: and are there any remarks like is it the same leadership style then that he's he would later employ down the road when where would, was he stationed do you remember
1: i want to say Leavenworth but i could i could be off on that okay um and Leavenworth is the largest post largest military post in the United States Army.
0: Initially he wanted to be in the Naval Academy. I don't know if you knew that.
1: Well, there were a lot of, a lot of uh, his contemporaries went in the Navy, okay. you know, from his area of the country. But uh, to go back to your question, he probably did develop his ability to handle men from that experience training troops for the First World War because he saw them as civilians, he saw him as soldiers, you know, and that has to, that has to be a formative thing, and he didn't do it once or twice, I mean, he did it through hundreds the whole times. period of the war. I don't know if it was hundreds of well, times. hundreds of men. Yeah, I mean, certainly, certainly several thousand men.
0: All right, so, go on from there, so that ends...
1: So, um, after World War One he, he became connected with General MacArthur. And... Um,
0: and his rank at that time?
1: He might have been a major by then.
0: And what are the... can you just give a quick rundown of the ranks again?
1: So, um, a, was, a, bit, uh, a new officer, a graduate from West Point, or a new OCS officer, or a new ROTC officer, OCS being college graduates who get trained by the Army to be officers, Officer Candidate School, is what OCS stands for. ROTC is the Reserve Officer Training Corps, which is men and now women who uh, take college courses in military science and in exchange for free college uh, serve as officers in the armed forces. There's Navy ROTC, Army ROTC. An Air Force ROTC. Um, I- I- Eisenhower was a West Point grad, U.S. Military Academy, USMA, and like other new graduate officers became a, a second lieutenant. Uh, they serve usually 18 months as a second lieutenant. They get promoted to first lieutenant and then sometime three to five years Uh, of service, a year and a half to maybe three years in grade as first lieutenant, they become a captain, which is 03. And then uh, uh, captain is basically the first command position. They command a company, which means that they have four or five platoons under them, each led by a lieutenant and then they have another lieutenant who's like their assistant commander. Uh, then they go from that to major, where they can become a battalion commander, mm-hmm. where again they're in charge of four or five companies, or in some instances they go into staff or a regiment and serve as a commander of one of the, the command functions, personnel, finance, operations or intelligence. Mm-hmm. And then they go to lieutenant colonel, and they may be a battalion commander, they may be a staff officer. In some instances, if it's a particularly dynamic individual, they may serve as a regimental commander. That's usually the terminal rank. Uh, Very few make it above lieutenant colonel. Then they might become a, a colonel, what we refer to as a bird colonel or a full colonel which uh, in the traditional rankings is a regimental commander, which is several battalions. Uh, then they go from that to brigadier general, a brigadier general commands a brigade, which is two regiments. Mm-hmm. Uh, if they go from that, they go to major general and command a division, which is Usually two regiments, but might be three regiments. And how many men is in that? We're talking twelve, fifteen thousand. 15,000, by the way. Then two divisions form a corps, then they're a lieutenant general. And then two corps will form an army, two or more corps will form an army. Then they're a general, then they're a full general, four stars.
0: Right before a full general is a lieutenant general? Yes.
1: Okay. And then... uh, if they command abroad, and they command an army or more than one army, and they're inter uh, interacting with foreign armies where they have field marshals, they'll get the five-star rank, which is either termed General of the Army or General the Armies, depending on their seniority, vis-à-vis the foreign field marshals.
0: Now, how many just? Approximately how many four-star generals are in the country now?
1: Well, we have a lot now. Um, there's probably over three hundred. Three hundred four-star now.
0: generals. Yeah. How many back in Eisenhower's time?
1: Uh, it depends when we're talking about. I mean, if we're talking about the height of World War II.
0: Let's say no, no. Let's say post World War One. When he comes out of his.
1: Persian was a five-star, so there must have been. Maybe two dozen. Okay.
0: So he comes out, and he gets hooked up with MacArthur. MacArthur at the time is one of those two dozen four-star generals, or not yet.
1: MacArthur by then might have been a lieutenant general. Okay. Okay. And uh, he eventually rose to being. Did MacArthur the command? highest officer in the army?
0: Did he? Uh, right. That's post World War II. Post World War One. Okay. Did he? Did he command in World War One?
1: MacArthur formed and commanded the famous Rainbow Division. The back then, because the National Guard uh, formed, we didn't have a large standing army, mm-hmm. so the nationalization of National Guard units was the way that we formed an army. And the President and General Pershing Secretary of War, as they called it back then.
0: Pershing, and, right?
1: Pershing, yeah. Okay. P
0: R S H I N G.
1: P R S H I N G. yes. Right, okay. um, we're concerned that as we fed the troops into combat, that particular divisions, because they were formed from state National Guard units, would get mangled up and particular states would take inordinate amounts of, of casualties. So MacArthur's solution for that was to form a national division, uh, men drawn from every state, and it would be like the rainbow, you know. It was an engaged division. It was, you know, the constellation of all the states. Huh. And um, it was the first division into combat, you know, and, and the idea was that no state would have, have a disproportionate loss. Yeah, okay. And, you know, as as they fed in more conscripts and they got the army more diversified, they were able to have more divisions like the like the Rainbow Division that were made up of, of men from all regions. Uh, but MacArthur took that Rainbow Division into combat. He was noted for his uh, flamboyant uniforms. You know, he wore this big long scarf and he took the wires out of his hat so his hat kind of flopped around. He didn't wear a helmet. Um, He would take out his pistol and fire it at the enemy when he was leading men into combat. As a uh, show? No, he was trying to shoot people. I mean, he shot a guy in Veracruz and killed him uh, when he was like a major. Um, Why
0: were we fighting in Veracruz?
1: When we invaded Mexico during uh, before World War One, mm. and uh, MacArthur, even in World War One, was the most highly decorated American officer. He got the Croix de Guerre. He got the uh, Distinguished Service Cross. And so, when uh, we left World War One, MacArthur, and and MacArthur is a brilliant man. I mean, brilliant military mind. And he, he quickly rose and took over the army. And uh, he went to the Philippines, formed an army over there, because it was still an American possession. Eisenhower went with him. They came back to Washington. This is in the 20s? Yeah. They came Why back. would
0: he go form an army in the Philippines? What's the it advantage? Was, it was
1: our possession. And we I know, needed but
0: what's the advantage? We just need something in
1: possess- the possession? We needed something to defend the, the Philippines. Okay. And uh, they came back, Eisenhower went to the Philippines with him, Eisenhower came back with him as his chief of staff, as MacArthur's chief of staff, and the World War I vets marched on Washington for a bonus for their World War I benefits, mm-hmm. and this is the famous bonus march. All right. And Hoover panicked and said uh, they've got to be removed from Washington.
0: Hoover was president at the time? Yes. And he was elected, what, 24?
1: 28, right? 28, right. And um, Hoover ordered MacArthur to clear the bonus vets. And Eisenhower basically was the one, as the chief of staff, who had to plan the operation. And Eisenhower uh, was embarrassed by it. This is know.
0: 10 years after the end of World War One. Yeah. So mm-hmm. did we not take care of the World War One vets the way we should have?
1: They didn't have the array of benefits that they get now. I mean, they got So there was no money for it? They got small cash awards when they left the service. The ones who were wounded got pensions for wounds. But a lot of them had various disabilities or... Just weren't making it and they wanted the government to help them. They felt that there was no GI bill. There's no GI bill. So the benefits were rather Unorganized and how
0: was it being done in Europe at the same period?
1: It was more like insurance like if uh, you had uh, Certain months of service you would get basically a small pension or a small payment from the government. If you were wounded, you got a bigger payment. If you were crippled, you got a bigger payment. If you had been killed, uh, your widow got uh, an, an insurance payout, like a, you know, like a life insurance policy payout. Uh-huh. If you were missing in action, like my great-grandfather was missing in action from the battle in the Somme, and the German government paid his widow, they didn't consider a widow at the time, uh, they gave her his, her allotment, they didn't give her his salary, because he was missing, they didn't want to pay it out, but they gave her the, the allotment that she would have gotten as uh, the wife of a, of an NCO in the German army uh, right through until, I don't know, probably until the mid-60s when she died.
0: All right, let's go back a minute. Did was... So MacArthur later on is... gets all... I mean, there's that whole scene in Korea where it's like a big disaster, really, and, and I think the president and MacArthur go at it, Right, and MacArthur wants to drop a drop a nuclear weapon. It's really bad, but but at that point we can talk about that later on in the episode or in the future episodes. But um, at this point in time, is MacArthur seen only in a positive light?
1: So MacArthur was our most distinguished soldier. Pretty was much was he
0: seen pretty much as the as one of the crowning hero? His career,
1: uh, MacArthur, you know, had movie star good looks. Mm-hmm. He had a way of speaking and carrying himself, which men respected, you know? I mean, Mark, MacArthur came into the room, and people stood at attention, and, I mean, you have to when an officer enters, but with MacArthur, there was also the personal aura, and he did everything in the, in the military. I mean, he went to West Point, he was either at the top of his class or the second in his class, he was one of the first officers to arrive at Veracruz when we invaded Mexico during the Wilson era he personally uh, captured the rolling stock from the Mexican railroad that we uh, confiscated and used to move our troops uh, you know he just he just had a brilliant career when he was fighting in France he was he was in the you know he was in the thick of things he didn't get wounded like Patton, I mean Patton, almost got killed, but uh, MacArthur survived it unscathed. But had got a lot of uh, decorations for valor. Was he
0: widely admired, just in the service or outside the service too?
1: We conscripted four million men in the First World War, mm-hmm. so most of the military leaders had a lot of prestige and uh macarthur was seen as the as the, the best of them all so, so he had a lot of a lot of prestige pretty much
0: everywhere so when eisenhower gets in with him um is is he one of eisenhower's formative role models
1: he definitely was one of the people who eisenhower observed very closely um Because Eisenhower was the chief of staff, Eisenhower was one of his uh, professional. uh, I want to say professional intimate. I mean, nobody was intimate with with MacArthur. You know, he's extremely aloof, extremely uh, reclusive, extremely secretive.
0: Oh, he was recluse and aloof? About, yeah,
1: about his personal life. But. Uh, in his professional life, Eisenhower was probably the person who he expanded on his ideas and explained things the most.
0: Did he feel that he was grooming Eisenhower? No. He was... On no, Eisen,
1: Eisenhower was you know, somebody he used.
0: Nope. so Eisenhower was just a, a, prof, a skilled prof, a skilled manager that was administrate, helping him administer... Well, administrate and Eisenhower
1: skills. understood MacArthur, he could pretty well.
0: Uh, but MacArthur was worried about what MacArthur is going to do. Yes. He didn't think, oh, I'm grooming Ike. No. Okay.
1: But Eisenhower understood how to handle MacArthur as a chief.
0: But MacArthur seems like a larger than life personality. And he was. But Eisenhower, it really isn't that.
1: At that time, Eisenhower wasn't. But Eisenhower was the guy who made things go for, for MacArthur. You know, I MacArthur strutted around, you know, and made speeches and was very flamboyant and bombastic. And Eisenhower was the one who made sure, you know, the stage was set up.
0: It's kind of like the a, an executive and a chief of staff, mm-hmm. or a campaign. Well, that manager, was that was Eisenhower's that
1: manager. was Eisenhower's uh, role uh, title, chief of staff. I meant campaign manager. Yeah.
0: Um, or chief of staff, I guess, like a Kelly and a Trump. Mm-hmm. Um, all right, so Eisenhower is humiliated to be doing the. He
1: was embarrassed. He wasn't humiliated. Okay. He felt that. He felt that they should have handled it differently. I mean, he said, you know, with uh, some black coffee and some sandwiches, we could have accomplished the same thing.
0: Is that a quote?
1: I I think it's one of these uh, uh, apocryphal quotes, you know, that Eisenhower probably said it like five years later, but attributed (laughs) it to having said it at the time.
0: But but they didn't give them any concessions, or they did? No, they ran them out of town. That's kind of a shameful thing for the National Government to do. But that's one of the reasons people hated Hoover. Yeah. Alright, so this is, All right. so keep on, so keep on. I mean, the military, by the way, is a good place to be for when the depression hits.
1: So, uh, Eisenhower also, uh, and this was more with Marshall, George C. Marshall, who became the top commander of the U.S. armed forces during the Roosevelt administration.
0: And is is not he's the one that did the Marshall Plan, I imagine. Yes.
1: Okay. Uh. And. He pretty much replaced MacArthur because, A, MacArthur and Roosevelt didn't like each other, and B...
0: Why? Because they just both had big egos and in their of and whatnot?
1: Well, there was that, and, you know, Roosevelt kind of wanted to clean house. He wanted to have his own people in there, and, you know, there's the famous incident of uh, Roosevelt not appropriating, not uh, proposing a big enough appropriation, in MacArthur's opinion, for the United States Army. In what year? And probably early Mm thirties. And MacArthur's saying that uh, when an American soldier is on his back and the enemy has his boot on his neck it's about to have run him through with a bayonet because he doesn't have the weapons and the ammunition to defend himself. I wanted to be cursing Roosevelt and not MacArthur.
0: Dang.
1: Right. Yeah, so, you know, that's the that sort of thing that makes you popular with your boss. Right. So, uh, when Marshall took over, Eisenhower was still the staff officer and they did a... Uh, now,
0: took over as leader of the armies? Yes. But it's a, it's a non-combat period.
1: Right it's, it's during the 30s a period of peace uh, but they wanted to practice defending the country
0: Did did Eisenhower show any political leanings at this point or he's just a strictly military man
1: They always have political leanings I mean they always they always have to show deference to the to the civilian leadership they always have to be supportive but Eisenhower didn't vote he didn't talk about politics you know, he probably talked about football, he so probably talked about... So he didn't show about,
0: political leanings, is what I'm saying. Uh,
1: other other than being pretty conservative.
0: Okay. Um,
1: Marshall wanted to see if we could defend the United States. So they had a uh, an army-wide war game. And they moved forces all over the map. And they were supposed to move some big portion of our of our armed forces which weren't much then but they were supposed to move them like from Georgia to Kansas something or Georgia to Louisiana I think it was actually another thing about I think it was Georgia to Louisiana and they were supposed to move them in like three days or something like that it took them like 13 days to move these guys and Eisenhower studied the move I mean he was not in charge of it, not directly uh, connected to it, but he was evaluating it. And he realized that the reason we couldn't move troops was because our our transportation network was such a mess, you know. Roads didn't connect, you know, they went all whichever way, all over the map. The railroads interfered with the roads. Uh, There were not dependable bridges to cross the rivers and the gorges and whatnot. Uh, one of the lessons that was imprinted in Eisenhower's mind was that we needed a national transportation net and this later reified in his term as the Interstate Highway System. Sure, 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 we get to that. So, uh, So and then just, just generally he figured out how to do it better even though we didn't do it as well as they wanted, he did it better. So the next time they had a maneuver they used the lessons that Eisenhower had, and and, and move the troops quicker.
0: So this is him under as chief of staff now to marshal.
1: Right, and okay. and learning how to move the whole army over big distances.
0: Did did Eisenhower have a natural uh, comfortability and a natural uh, like sense of? Belonging or ease, or I'm in the right place. When he was in the military, as opposed to civilian life, so or governmental. Milit
1: military culture is different than civilian culture. I mean, it is, it is a subculture. Right. And back then, as probably now, excuse me, the military bases were separate from the civilian population centers. So they were kind of away from civilians. Now, Eisenhower spent a lot of time in Washington. They didn't have the Pentagon back then. You know, the war office was probably somewhere on Pennsylvania Avenue. So Eisenhower spent a lot of time in the high command. So he spent a lot of time in Washington. So he probably had more interaction with the civilian leaders than most of the other officers in his generation. And probably than any other officer of comparable rank, so he mixed both with the high command, the high generals, to an extent with the other service officers, and also with the political leadership.
0: Did he mix with uh, infantry and the common men, civilians? I don't think or that much
1: with civilians. I mean, okay. I, you know, it's 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 really hard to, to understand or visualize the circumstances where he would have had a lot of contact with civilians, maybe contractors. Um, as he rose in the ranks, he had more and more interaction with tycoons and high businessmen and stuff like that. But, you know, the military, the officers, are, are really separate from the enlisted personnel, and there's a lot of anti-fraternization policies, so they really don't... Written
0: or unwritten? Huh? Written or unwritten?
1: Both. Both, you know, it's it's a formal policy that officers aren't supposed to fraternize with
0: the enlisted people. Is he the type? Of you guy know, and they don't want to show favoritism. Oh yeah, is he mo- Is he more modern or old-fashioned? Is he the type in his in his personal style and, and predilections?
1: So Eisenhower,
0: because he is from the eighteen hundreds, really is
1: like... had no background. Okay. You know. uh they grew up in Kansas you know it's kind of the archetypical American upbringing. Sure. Uh, there were no professionals in his family who would have marked him you know with a, a predilection toward law or engineering or pro- education or medicine or anything like that. Um, his mother was religious but took a long time apparently for her to form a particular denomination. Mm-hmm. Uh, they were real blue-collar type people. His father was a, you know a mechanic, worked with his hands. So Eisenhower Good really... at
0: school but nothing special at school. Yeah.
1: Eisenhower really didn't come in to anything with any particular class or social type markings. Of, of markings. So in the officer corps where the West Point graduates were the elite, it was very easy for Eisenhower to move among them one as one was of the leading say, people.
0: That one thing that I saw about his time at West Point was that he actually really liked and felt connected to the sense of tradition that West Point had. Mm-hmm. Maybe because he had been kind of without that for... Uh, I mean, didn't really have a sh- a strong tradition that he came from, so maybe he connected to that.
1: Well, when you go to West Point, there's so much tradition there. I mean, you know, there's one place where they have this circle of, of cannons that they have stuck in the ground, you know, and they look like posts. And they're cannons that they captured from the Mexicans during the Mexican War. You know, and, and you know... Uh, goes back to what the 1790s and all the great officers went there you know and their their names are there and you just know i mean this is this is the shrine this is the, this is the academy you know so uh it, and 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 the physical uh location of west point on a bluff on the hudson river mm-hmm. is just is just. Uh, phenomenally it's a spectacular natural setting
0: do you think that um Eisenhower was more like of a modern man as far as oh he likes to he likes the technological advances of the 20th century he like he's just staying with the time moving with the time or is he more of a guy who's has older you remember we were talking about Quincy John Quincy Adams right he's in the eighteen hundreds you know he lived his adult life in the eighteen hundreds he goes to the Potomac and swims obviously Eisenhower's not doing that it's a much more modern time but in a way Quint John Quincy Adams is 650, 60 years old and he's still living like the way I mean even like right in a way representative of the people before him when he goes and swims in the Potomac that is Eisenhower holding on to some. Uh, stylistic or or routine elements of like his. So it's you it's, know what I'm saying It's, you know what it's I'm saying a kind language?
1: of contradictory answer mm-hmm. okay. because military science is engineering
0: okay.
1: uh, civil to a big degree because they're building fortifications, right. they're building roads, they they're building supplies, encampments sure. you know, but also uh, mechanical to a lot, mm-hmm. especially with Eisenhower's time when the tank was being developed, the aircraft were being developed, machine guns, uh, howitzers, you know, all these things were pretty much, they weren't exactly in their infancy, but they weren't as commonplace as they are now. So engineering studies, mechanical civil, were were big deals, you know, with with, uh, Eisenhower's generation. But on the other hand, when Eisenhower was, shape commander, if he took a telephone call, his uh an NCO, his 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 basically his his office chief had to, to place the call and if somebody called Eisenhower he had to he had to answer it and then actually take the phone and hand it to Eisenhower, you know, so he could talk into it. I mean he didn't understand, you know, how to dial a phone or how to switch the call from the receptionist who took it to his desk. You know, he had to have people do those things for him. So he had this this funny kind of a mix of, of understanding, engineering, logistics, and those subjects mentally and on paper, but then not being able to do simple things.
0: Okay. You know, so. Well, they say people, a lot of people with high, high order, like... If, if you have, people, all right, let's say like this, people who have like near genius or like a couple standard deviations out um, acumen in one domain tend to have more scattered uh, measures in other domains.
1: But he had a lot of domains in which he was extremely well, cause so competent.
0: Because he's so interpersonal. competent, yeah. too. And he seems very dis. Maybe, all right. Anyway, um, all right. So let's get back to the the story. I just wanted to flesh out some out a little bit. Uh, he's in. He's under Marshall. It's peacetime. He shows. Uh, he, you know he's doing the war games. He shows improvement. He also gets a lesson about the about the importance of um, the need for domestic. You know, domestic. Uh, infrastructure mm-hmm. down the road, which pays off. What? When do we start gearing up? What's his? How does he get himself positioned for World War Two? So now that's that's a good question
1: because I, I I don't think it's really clear how the United States was preparing itself its entry into the Second World War. Um, Certainly the British and the French were stepping up their aircraft production. Uh, France always had conscription so they were taking the full levy of uh, young men and training them for military duty. Uh, The United States kind of stepped up the war games. Uh, Didn't do much for for the Air Force. Uh, The Navy, because Roosevelt had been Assistant Secretary of Navy and basically running the Navy Department uh, in the Wilson administration, uh, was kind of gearing up the Navy. He understood that. But, and, and Hitler accused us of training an army through the Civil Conservation Corps, the Civilian Conservation Corps, the Triple C. Uh, most of the Americans who I, who I met who knew about the time, either they lived through it or they came along just after it and read a lot about it, talked to people who were in it. Felt like the Civilian Conservation Corps really was forestry. It was not military training. Mm-hmm. But still, it was toughening people up. You know, They were living outdoors. It making them more orderly. Making more orderly. But it wasn't really until like 1940 that we really started focusing on the Second World War. And, and I, uh, at that time, Eisenhower was still a lieutenant colonel you know, at that terminal rank, uh, probably not being viewed as somebody who necessarily would have risen to general rank. Well, he's already 50. A, in a peacetime or, army.
0: Or, or no.
1: No, I don't think he was quite that old. Like I think late, he was more like 40. He 40, 45. Yeah. Um, so, he really wasn't, he really, I don't think he was, like, viewing himself. He, he, he didn't go to World War I, he, you know, They didn't know how World War II was going to develop. I don't know that he necessarily was one of the people they were looking at. Um, When we did get into the Second World War, late 1941, so 1942 was when we actually started getting into things, uh, the Japanese were really mauling us. You know, the, the first two quarters of 1942, the Japanese were just beating us up one side and down the other. And since MacArthur had been in the Philippines and was evacuated to Australia by submarine, MacArthur was seen as the one who was going to be in charge in the Far East and in the Pacific, as far as the Army forces. So they needed someone in uh, the Atlantic Theater to command, and Marshall was seen by Roosevelt as too essential. I mean, Roosevelt wanted Marshall in Washington where he could work with him to control the So
0: Marshall was Roosevelt's right-hand man?
1: Well, Lehman Lehman was Roosevelt's right-hand man, but he was an admiral. But Marshall, Marshall was Roosevelt's general.
0: Was Roosevelt in, in the military?
1: He was uh, Secretary of the Navy.
0: Secretary of the Navy?
1: Assistant Secretary of the Navy, yeah.
0: Roosevelt? Yeah. But is that a, a political appointment or yeah. a military appointment?
1: Military, okay. or political.
0: So he wasn't in the military?
1: Uh, he, he never was in the uniform. Because of his disability?
0: No, just
1: it didn't happen Could to he people like him. Could he have gotten in? Huh? Could
0: he have gotten in?
1: Probably if he would wanted to. But he was he was you know, he was already the secretary of the navy, assistant secretary of the navy, running the Navy department. So he was friends with when the first world war broke out. Uh-huh. So he took that over, you know. I mean that was his wartime contribution.
0: He was friends with Lehman.
1: They had a, a business relationship. I don't know a how good close they were yeah. Leahy, not Lehman. Oh Leahy. And um they were looking for somebody to command in Africa, because we were getting ready to invade Africa. They said Atlantic Theater. Well, the Atlantic Theater, Africa.
0: Well, Africa, Atlantic Theater is as much Western Europe as it is that more Western Europe Well, but we, we
1: decided we were going to invade Africa before we invaded France. And that was a joint decision between the Americans and the British... Which drove Stalin crazy.
0: Why did it drive Stalin crazy? Well, he wanted us to to go right into Europe because he needed, he needed the help. He needed the help. But we wanted to get into Africa first because it was easier. It was easier. Oh, uh,
1: they had some theories about getting France back into our side, and there were a lot of French forces in Africa, and that uh, Egypt was threatened, which would have cut off Britain from India. Which was something they they really desperately wanted to avoid. Why
0: they didn't have needs for supplies in India, just tea.
1: No, they they depended on India. The British economy was very intertwined with India.
0: Both of what?
1: Oh, all sorts of things: cotton, tea. uh, They sold stuff stuff out there. They took men from the Indians to. Uh, fighting Would they
0: use the Indian, the British police in India for other ex for other military uses?
1: No, they probably just took uh, military units out of India, composed of Indians.
0: They used Indians for, in their army. Yeah, and did they use the that? I don't know if it's the, what it's called, the Suez Canal or what, but did they use that Suez Canal? Suez Canal is that how they got around to yeah. India? Yeah. So they needed Egypt. Yeah.
1: And then uh, Churchill had this theory that we could go up through the soft underbelly of Europe and attack from the south. That's what I easier and, easier and for home. Uh, or, I mean, if you look at the map and, and you think about what Churchill thought, we could have gone up through Italy
0: but to get through and
1: Greece and met the Russians like in Romania instead of in Germany. And that was really more of Churchill's idea that the British would have a sphere of influence in southeastern Europe.
0: Oh, he wanted the British, not the Americans, to do that.
1: Well, he wanted the Americans to do it, but for the British to have the sphere of influence.
0: Well, why did the British get the sphere of influence if the Americans did all the marching?
1: Well, because the British just think that way. (laughs) And and Roosevelt, I'm sorry, um, Eisenhower and Marshall's idea was to smash right through Germany. You know, go the direct route, go right through the Low Countries, through northern France.
0: Eisenhower and wanted to go through the Low Countries and northern France. Yeah, Eisenhower just
1: wanted to jump off from Britain and go right at the Germans. Brittany. From Britain into. Brittany. Well, he probably would have wanted to land in Belgium, but. Okay. But in any case, for political reasons, uh, we went to Morocco and Tunisia instead of. France. And then how the much beginning. time
0: elapsed before we got into Normandy?
1: So that was in late nineteen forty two. We took out Italy in nineteen forty three.
0: Which was easy.
1: Well ask Bob Dole how easy it was.
0: Bob Dole got hurt in that battle? Lost he got his hand. he
1: got he got his arm shot off. I mean it was it just afterwards it was just hanging there and he had no muscle attack. How
0: old was Bob Dole?
1: Mm, early twenties maybe. Maybe yeah, he was younger than you are now. So
0: Bob Dole is in his twenties and Bob Dole is still around now. But uh, I, he might have died. No, he's still, oh, alive. He's still all right. Eisenhower. Well maybe he did die last year. Eisenhower was in his mid Just
1: just as a comment, Bob Dole was the former uh Republican leader in the Senate. Right. and uh, ran for president u.s candidate uh, candidate for US president
0: 1996 and um, Eisenhower Eisenhower was born in 92 right so right. he was what 40 well yeah Bob
1: six. Dole. Bob Bob Dole was a junior officer he's, he's a platoon leader mm-hmm. and they dole were they come were
0: a prominent family
1: no okay they were uh, attacking a machine gun nest and dole didn't feel like he could send the men to do it. He felt like if we're gonna go at that thing, I'm the one I'm I'm in charge, I should be the one doing it. And he got his arm shot off. Uh, so that was I mean in Italy? That was in Italy. So Italy was not easy. But we did put Italy out of the war. Okay. And then once Italy what was out of the Mussolini? Huh? What
0: happened to Mussolini?
1: Well, uh, when we took over Sicily in early 1943, Mussolini was deposed and he fled. Military coup or what? Uh, military or political. I'm not, it, probably joint military and, Kay. you know, the top fascists. And he fled. So he was deposed. He was, he fled, uh they recap they they found him they put him under house arrest the germans sent paratroopers to rescue him and they got him out of whatever prison he was in or house arrest whatever he was in and then for some reason he fled to what country well he was out in Italy the whole time okay and for some reason the germans lost control of him and then he was executed by right. uh, by the italians And he and his wife were hung up by their, by their legs in public. No. You know, and there's a famous picture of Mussolini, Mussolini's remains hanging in a public square with his wife's remains hanging in a public square next to him with her dress up around her head because her dress flopped down. Wow. uh, So Mussolini came to a very bad end.
0: Yeah. Um, what, what region of Italy was that? Probably Lombardy. Okay. North, yeah. Um, all right. Uh, all right. So we're we're in Italy. We we knock out Italy, and then we do the Normandy invasion.
1: Right. I mean, then they well, they got they got kind of bogged down in Italy. I mean, we we conquered the southern half of Italy, took Rome, conquered the southern half of Italy, but uh, they had what they called the Kesselring line. The German commander was a field marshal, Kesselring, and he was able to stabilize. Their defense at
0: what at what part of Italy, Tuscany,
1: between Florence and Rome. Okay. And uh, you know we just got bogged down there. Italy was out of the war. I mean the Germans were the ones occupying who were holding that. Excuse me. Uh, but you know they they realized that the Churchill strategy wasn't gonna wasn't it gonna wasn't work out. It was such
0: a soft underbelly.
1: There was no there's no soft underbelly. It's a six pack. It's a six pack.
0: Yeah. Okay. Yeah. So then we decide let's go through Normandy. So so now then wait, the so Marshall plan Eisenhower came back in. Eisenhower was put Eisenhower was put in charge of that invasion.
1: Now Eisenhower had been in charge of the African operation. And he had he had he had some political hiccups with a uh, Marshal Darlan who was the head of the French forces there. His name's what? Darlin, Darlan D A R L A N. But but Darlan was assassinated. And uh, a marshal, Girard, took his place, who who Eisenhower could work very well with. So Eisenhower... Assassinated by an enemy? Darlan was... He was assassinated by a fascist, by a Frenchman. fascist Frenchman. Okay. uh, Because he was cooperating with the Allies.
0: Okay. And... uh, France was mostly cooperative with the Allies. Yeah. And... uh, And this was in Morocco or Algeria? Algeria. And,
1: and Eisenhower let the assassin be extradited back to Vichy, the fascist French government, and he got in trouble over it, but he said, you know, it was a criminal matter, it wasn't a political matter, but he survived it. And he operated well enough with the British Eighth Army, the American forces there, and with the Free French forces that he was seen as the natural one to lead the invasion into Europe, into Northern Europe, which is going to be our main push. Didn't
0: they consider the European invasion to be more important than the uh, Pacific invasion?
1: Yeah, it was Europe yeah. first.
0: So why leave a inexperienced commander in charge of Europe when you had MacArthur possible as a possible option?
1: Well, MacArthur wanted Asia first.
0: He thought Asia was more important. Yeah. Really.
1: Yeah. And MacArthur like basically owned Asia, as far as the army was concerned.
0: So MacArthur got to make his decision, basically. Yeah. Okay. And Marshall wasn't allowed to leave Washington, so he would have been the next guy to do Europe. Probably. And then who did they have besides Eisenhower? So Eisenhower's like, we'll give you the African invasion as a test case. You pass, you can do Belgium, or I mean Normandy. But what? Who was there? Anybody else that was even in the runnings for it? So
1: there were two British commanders. Uh, one was a General Brooke, who had been the Supreme Allied Commander before Eisenhower, who basically lost his job because Eisenhower proved suitable to take it over. And, of course, we're the senior partner in that, once we got cranking.
0: And we're then, the senior partner?
1: Well, not at the beginning. At the beginning, uh, Churchill kind of dominated Roosevelt, but Roosevelt quickly got his confidence and realized, you know, this thing's going to work we're going to be the ones who are going to make it work not the British
0: but the British I would think would consider themselves the senior part of the relationship right,
1: which was why it made, why uh, field marshal Brooke was the first supreme commander then it, it uh, the other the other British officer was a uh, uh, field marshal Montgomery Bernard Montgomery who commanded the British 8th army in Egypt who won the battle of El Alamein and who was, you know, probably the most distinguished British soldier in World War Two, II. But, uh, What's his name? Uh, Montgomery, Bernard Montgomery. Uh-huh. But given the far larger American contribution...
0: As far as number of soldiers. To the
1: war. As weapons, soldiers, money, money you yeah. know,
0: anything. Uh, Although Britain took a lot, had to sacrifice a lot.
1: Yeah, but... Uh, it became apparent that it was going to be an American commander, and it was going to be Eisenhower. And Eisenhower was the only one who could really handle the strategic and logistical and political dimensions Did of that command. Did Eisenhower communicate
0: with the Russians?
1: I don't think Eisenhower communicated directly with the Russians. I think he was busy enough with the French and the British and the Americans, and planning Overlord... And planning Torch, which was Torch was the African
0: invasion. Did he have, I think he
1: had enough work to do.
0: Did he have and did he okay. Well, how was his relationship with Roosevelt? Um
1: they they trusted each other. It wasn't I before. don't know that they were particularly friendly, but they trusted
0: each other. And what was his relationship like with Churchill?
1: They were probably more aloof, because Churchill, you know, had all those machinations that he was trying to pull off. And MacArthur, or um, Eisenhower, was basically the one saying, direct, direct. The fist to the face. You know,
0: Northern Europe. So Churchill was trying to get slick, and Eisenhower was like, no, we just need to go in there.
1: Eisenhower's like brute force, you know, just
0: match the as a bru- back to his days as a bruiser. Right. Okay. Um, all right, let's let's go on. We'll do the we'll start in on the next episode at um at continuing from Overlord Invasion, okay? Okay. Do you have anything you want to point out uh, about this? Anything to close for this part of his career? Uh what, what are his prospects if you look at it from, from not knowing the rest of the his story? What are I mean? You saw what happened to Montgomery. You saw what happened to the other guy, Brooke. Is that his name? Yes. You you know you know how it even with you know there's moose there's big figures on the on the scene Mussolini, Churchill, Roosevelt, Marshall, um, uh, the guy in the Pacific, MacArthur, MacArthur, Stalin, Hitler. Even there's a lot of big figures on the on the scene, right? De Gaulle, De Gaulle, right? What what is if you had to say futures market on Eisenhower, what is what does it look like? Is he gonna come out of this as the figure that he became? Is it what do you how do you, how do you
1: so 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 right now we're looking at Eisenhower. Eisenhower is taking a tremendous beating politically from the way he handled the extradition of Darlin's assassin. People he, were really mad about that. Yeah. He didn't shine as uh, an invasion commander. I mean, uh, he was indecisive about uh, a major command decision. We had a, a terrific loss in Tunisia. Our forces landed. They were sharply defeated by Rommel's Africa Corps at a place called the Kayserine Pass, or the Kayserine Pass. And What's the general... Who's Rommel? Rommel? Uh, Field Marshal Rommel, the German Desert Fox. Okay. And the American general in charge of that was charged with everything from cowardice to drunkenness to insubordination to malfeasance. I mean, he, he just... Badly handled the battle. He, he
0: the field, the field. Commander. Our field commander. Yeah. And
1: Eisenhower and that general were sort of like friends. It took Eisenhower a long time to relieve him. Uh, Patton was the one who relieved him. Uh, Patton was not one of Eisenhower's favorites. Oh, where is Patton in this whole mix? Why
0: didn't they put Patton into Belgium?
1: They did, but that's later. Um, So Eisenhower had kind of a mixed record in North Africa, but what his strong point was was in conciliating all these different generals of all these different nationalities and merging the operations of the different national armies. The French in Africa were a significant military presence. They were a significant part of the Allied forces. The British army was a significant part. The American army was a significant part. So, looking at it, they said Eisenhower had some bad moments, but overall his ability to meld everything and get all these people to be able to work together was more of a plus than his minuses. So Eisenhower was seen as the person to command over, uh, Operation Overlord, which wasn't the name for the Normandy invasion at the time, whatever they had to call it. But if I were buying his futures, I would have said, Army commander, maybe theater commander retirement after okay. the war. Okay.
0: All right. So we'll end there. We'll be back um, for our next episode, picking up uh, before the Normandy invasion.